Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. is will holden and today i am joined by mark wall how are you doing sir i'm all the better for for seeing you too thank you that means a lot and i'm also joined by andy melbourne how are you doing sir slightly worse than for seeing you too but that means a lot too but in a, in a different way <laughs> lovely lovely as always to see you both cheered me right up good good right Let's crack on this week, Marco. These are your choices, and we begin with the film One Eyed Jacks from 1961. It was directed by Marlon Brando and stars Marlon Brando, Pina Palesia, Ben Johnson, Carl Malden, Katie Gerardo, Slim Pickens, and many others. The IMDb pitch is. After robbing a Mexican bank, Dad Longworth takes the loot and leaves his partner Rio to be captured, but Rio escapes and searches for Dad in California. What's the matter? Ain't you coming in? You can fight them fleas on your own. I'll see you later. Well, don't get drunk. You know, you're getting too fat to run. Let's go to glory, Dad. <laughs> Immediately, I found his name being Dad was weird, and everybody calling him Dad all the time. <laughs> I, I hope we could get into the film, but for a small bit at the start, I thought that he was Marlon Brando's dad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, he's calling him Dad all the time. <laughs> it's but, confusing. Okay, it's his dad. Cool. <laughs> anyway, carry on. So, Mark... Tell us about your pick. I mentioned it on the podcast early on. It was it's just one of the films within the last year that I liked very much. And it's been a crappy couple of weeks. And I just thought, do you know what? I just want to watch something that I know I like. I've been wanting to rewatch it for a while, to be honest. See if it's solidified in my mind as, as a bit of a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's... It's unlikely, but I kind of wanted to see if I could challenge the um, the top spot. Okay, yeah, in interesting. The movie Canon. What first brought you to it? Was it the Brando connection or the Western connection or both? Bit of both, really. I mean, it was one that sat on the shelf for a long time, and uh, I feel it's monumentally underrated, but. It is picking up a bit of steam in the last couple of years. I think a couple of, uh, I mean, obviously Scorsese and Spielberg are pretty much responsible from what I gather for it even existing in its current form. <laughs> I think Terry Gilliam's called it his favourite.
favorite movie of all time, full stop. But yeah, I don't really know specifically. I do like Marlon Brando and it sounded pretty interesting. But sure. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping that you both at the very least like to... I'll put you out of your misery, Mark. I like this quite a bit. I think I almost like it despite itself a little bit. A common complaint for me, um, which is the same here, is it's too long. <laughs> what is it, two hours and 20 minutes? But it is kind of weirdly engaging. I think Marlon Brando absolutely steals the show, although I do actually think a few of the other names I read out put in some pretty good performances throughout, including Slim Pickens, who was a pretty gross villain. He was real fun. I think some of it is shot really, really nicely, particularly when he's on the cliff quite near the beginning and the Mexican police are kind of surrounding him. And those Vista views were, were quite stunning. And of some of the action shots, there's not a huge amount of action in this film, but I think they're shot quite interestingly. I think it shows that Brando certainly has a flair for directing, but, and I'll get into this a bit later, I, uh, I looked into some of the trivia and it's pretty funny. It's pretty classic Brando uh, and shows that his directing was not without its pitfalls. Yeah, I could echo everything that you said, I think. So I watched it on YouTube and I don't think the version that I watched was especially bad. I immediately watched the Scorsese intro that he did for the remastered version afterwards and it made me regret not borrowing the blu-ray off your mark but um, I'll, I'll second that yeah but so i would like to re-watch it because i would like to watch the remastered version but i still think it looked great it wasn't a bad copy that i watched at all and yeah just scorsese touching on the the making of it made me instantly read loads of stuff about <laughs> brando making it because it's brando and it was awesome so yeah, super entertaining that. But anyway, as a film, yeah, pretty much echo everything that you've said, Will. I think, yeah, Brando was great in it. A lot of the cast I thought was great. Uh, Carl Malden, I think his dad was excellent as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Slim Pickens is great. Like I've not, yeah. I've not seen him be a dick before. <laughs> Real slimy. Such a good bad guy. I also think it was a little bit flabby in the middle, but you're like, I'm picking out faults why I would knock it down from a 10. I thought it was superb. I don't think all of the cast is at the same level as Brando. No. I wasn't quite as invested in the love story as I was the revenge thriller element to it. The love story is part of the revenge, though. I think that's what makes it interesting. It is. It doesn't really start as a love story. It's just him. Part of his vengeance is, I'm going to take advantage of this situation because I know it's going to piss you off. Yeah. And then it evolves into something else, which I think is is really quite nice, to be honest. I guess for me, I didn't really feel like it's sewed the... They're just kind of in love. Like, like he approaches her because of the revenge element, but they're they're just sort of falling in love instantly, and there's no real build. Well, it it provides the arc for his character. You know, I I think without her, it's a completely different story. Maybe, yeah. Mm. I, I think, I don't know. I, I'm not fully behind this argument because, yeah, it's a criticism that but I wasn't as invested. It doesn't. What, what I would I say is, what I would say is, if you're already criticizing it 
as it is. I think if they'd invested more time in setting it up, when you're already calling possibly that section of the film flabby, I think, I just think it's unnecessary. At the end of the day, it's Marlon Brando is charismatic as hell. Uh, she's into him. I, I buy it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think, you know, there's, there's so many scenes that being one of them. I love that turnaround. The fact that he sort of tricks her to an extent into spending the night with him. And then immediately Renasia's the next morning and sort of opens up and is honest. That that seems nice. I, th- I think yeah. it's I think it's fantastic. And yeah, I mean I, I will say I still think this is a, a flat out masterpiece in my view. I think in terms of what I want from cinema, it's just got everything. Mm-hmm. Will's right, I think it, it's phenomenally shot. Like all the locations are spectacular the fact that he would wait hours for the right waves to be in the background well good because it looks fucking awesome um and i just think the setting is interesting it's different for a western in films aside from how it looks what do i want i want a good story which i think it's got a great story i want interesting characters who evolve throughout the film which is absolutely got in spades I want to not quite know where it's going, which I didn't the second time round. I did, obviously, but I had an advantage of having seen it. And yeah, I just think it's, uh, yeah, a couple of the people aren't possibly on the level of Brando, but I mean, come on, he's like one of the best actors of all time. And Who I, is? Yeah, of course, like, yeah. I, I just mean, I think the ensemble cast was actually really good. Like I say, Slim Pickens and Carl Molden for me in particular. Um, yeah. I think... Maybe it was partly why I wasn't as invested in the love stories. I wasn't quite as sold on um, uh, Louisa. Okay. I, I yeah. think she's... An actress. But... I think she's good. But, you know, I, I don't really know what more she could have done with that role. One of the sort of little bits of trivia initially was that he shot... The original edit was something like four and a half hours long. And eventually it was the studio that edited it down. And I think that tells in some places where I think the pacing at the beginning feels a bit uneven because there's the setups them being caught and then next minute he's out of prison and the next minute they've got clothes and horses and it's sort of straight into the revenge story now, in practice I've got no problem with that because the revenge story is the interesting story but I feel that there's more film there that we just don't see and that the final edit just feels a little bit choppy in those opening stages and perhaps a little bit meandering and then I think once he arrives at the town with his gang I think that's where it really picks up story-wise I don't know how you like I'm criticizing it for being a bit long and then saying I want more prison scene well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, exactly I just I don't know think, yeah it's a bit of a conundrum I don't have an issue with that and also I think the pacing it's sort of one bit really and it's probably the the third quarter I guess like when Brando's in the jail cell like waiting to be hanged I feel like that section's kind of too long I do know kind of what you mean like things like when he escapes and dad's outside of the jail cell it just appears at the same time which is there's no real issue with that it's just that suddenly the pacing is really quick towards the end yeah, I don't mind the pacing at the start at all. I think like the the story is the the revenge thriller story, <clears> I guess. So I don't mind them rushing through the initial setup because that's all it is. It's just a setup. 
And I yeah. agree with you totally, Mark, on things like the characters, like the kind of light and light and dark of every character almost. Brando does pretty unlikable things through most of the film, but then is constantly shown as well as standing up for the little man, you know, when <laughs> somebody's treating someone It's a badly super interesting before. character. But all the characters like that, almost everybody has. If you're a bad guy, there's still a little bit of light shone in there and and so on. Like 100%. The characterization is is excellent. Yeah, I, I think it's phenomenal. And pacing is uh, subjective, obviously. I mean, I don't think it's too long, personally, at all. I find it all engaging. And I'd struggle to find a scene without a purpose. Yeah, fine. If you feel a couple of the scenes were a bit like laggy or whatever, then... That's that's fair enough, but there's nothing that I would look to cut at all. I think every single scene has a purpose for either the characters or the story, or it just looks nice or sounds nice. Let's, I mean, I want to mention that as well. The score is phenomenal. Like I've never heard this guy, Hugo Friedhofer, kind of golden age Hollywood composer, had never heard of him uh, since I've listened to a bunch of his stuff, and he's. Fantastic. And I don't know how I've not heard of this guy, but even to me, I'm such a sucker for it that even the love scenes, which I know Andy said he wasn't fully into, there's set on a spectacular location and there's a beautiful love theme which plays during all of those scenes. And, you know, that alone is enough. And I thought all the character stuff was more than enough as well. But there are big sort of chunks when there's no score at all. Um, but I think that makes it all the more dramatic when it crashes in for, like you say, some dramatic scenes or kind of romantic scenes. And when it does, it tends to be quite big. Uh, it, it's a big orchestration. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the the score in this. One bit I thought was quite funny. I don't think it was on purpose, but in the opening credits, there's a score running throughout and it's quite melodic. And then it kind of hits a slightly discordant note a moment of tension and it's just as the words directed by Marlon Brando appear on screen. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But yeah, I just think it's, uh, as I say, all, all the little moments and even the side characters like his, uh, his Mexican mate who he breaks out of prison with, you know, there's no requirement for them to have long scenes together. You get that sense of their close relationship and I'll, I'll be fully blunt. I was close to welling up on the, uh, embrace as he's leaving and he obviously meets his downfall shortly after I was gutted you know all this stuff about the pacing to me the first half is is what it is I think it's really good at the build-up and then pretty much the the last hour is just gangbusters I think yeah I think it's reflective as as I was watching it I was in the first don't know 20 minutes of the film kind of thinking when's this gonna sort of hit its stride Probably is, on yeah. in retrospect, as you say, I don't know what you'd cut, and I don't think it actually probably matters that much once you know where it where it is going. But I guess in that first experience, I was kind of thinking that like, I don't. It's just sort of jumping from one thing to another very the, quickly. I, I believe that the film kind of becomes what it is in the scene where Carl Morden's character obviously makes the decision not to turn back for him. Mm-hmm. Even that alone, fantastic piece of acting, really well staged. And it's even got like interesting character stuff before that. Like, as you said, Brando is a bit of an asshole at times throughout the film, but he sets it up so that dad is going to be the guy who gets away to get, to get away. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like, there's he... loads of little touches like that, which are just 
brilliant. I think I think there's a couple of scenes that are superb. I actually argue that the first scene is as well when he's it's in the bank and he's throwing the banana peel onto the scales, <laughs> yeah, and then it like and then it zooms out a little bit, and you see that Brando's then robbing the bank. Yeah. That's and then the interaction scene. with the with the woman as he's leaving and stuff that that seems superb. And also when he's going to meet Dad for the first time after getting out of prison, and he's yeah, just showing that like really scene. long approach on horseback, and you get the the camera view where it suddenly goes really like low to the ground, and it's looking up as Brando as like the hero of the piece, and you see Dad through the picket fence and like a little bit of panic it is that's such a good scene just superbly shot and so tense <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but not really anything that's kind of i mean obviously the story sets up the tension there but i think the way that it's that that scene's made is yeah everything for for where the tension comes from i think that's a good moment as an example of where the characters and the writing sells the story as well because when he goes to speak to dad and then dad sort of blatantly lies about what happened. The way what they say to each other and the way that uh, Rio, Brando's character, kind of accepts it and, and pretends to forgive him, it's all done subtly and through the acting and without it having to be expositioned to you. And there was another bit that really caught, caught my attention later on where the bank robbers he's teamed up with to rob dad's town's bank when they end up falling out and they go in front of him and dad immediately thinks it's a ploy from Rio you know he's like ah very clever and it just sort of highlights dad's paranoia at that point he knows he's coming to kill him but he's got the wrong end of the stick and that sort of sets up how the end plays out and I just it just struck me as really good writing it all feels like it happens incidentally but it ties together very well. I don't know how closely it follows the book that it's based on, but apparently not very much at all from what yeah. I read. Because yeah, just the the overarching plot as well is 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 excellent. Not just characterization and things like that. The plot is so engaging. I completely agree with you, Mark. I didn't know where it was going to end up. Like there's lots of little hints of double crosses as well from other characters and things like that. The main plot itself is relatively straightforward, but there's just so many little red herrings and stuff. And there's so many people that you just don't trust or you think are going to influence the, the plot that it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it does. And I think it carries some genuine emotion at times. It's uh, Will mentioned it before, the, the actual action is incredibly sporadic. Maybe a handful of minutes in a two-hour-plus film. <laughs> but when it comes, it does it does make it really work. And I love his little dive move that he's got. Cracks it out a couple of times. I'll just I dive think... to the side and take someone out. Yeah, um, but, but Scorsese was talking about the the move between like new Hollywood and old Hollywood, yeah. specifically with this film. And I think there's lots of things that don't make it feel like a Western setting especially, but like the fight scenes are really kinetic as well. Like you say, mm -hmm. Prando doing this little role and stuff like that. I don't think that's that common in, in Westerns. No. Like usually it's a big shootout in the middle of the main street. All smoke and blank <laughs> effects. And, yeah, yeah. you've not usually got people diving behind fountains and it feels 
more modern than a lot of the films that came out at the same sort of time, I think. The fight that he has in the bar with the kind of drunk guy who's harassing the woman, mm-hmm. all of that is just superb. From the fisty cuffs, as you said, Andy, it's really kinetic. Like you really feel the blows as he's laying into this guy to the final brief gunfight when he does his, his sweet like bond twist around a post and puts this guy out. But I say, I think the fact that Brando, I mean, what's one of my other things here? Uh, he printed close to 250,000 feet of film where the average is about 150,000. And he did it all on something called VistaVision process, which costs 50 cent a foot. And in the end, the film that was budgeted for 1.8 million cost around 6 million to put together. I think there are times when it highlights his perhaps naivety as a director, but he's clearly got an eye for it. Like he knows how a scene should look and be set up. And I can't, I I didn't really watch the credits too closely. I don't know if he had any second unit directors or anything like that. Either way, he, he really hits onto something more regularly than he misses, definitely. From what I read about it, it sounded like sounded like because I agree with you. Like he definitely does have some flair for directing. I, I get the feeling from what I've read that it sounds like Brando was learning as he went. I don't think that the reams and reams of film that he made was probably all goals. <laughs> like it sounds like he sort of made mistakes as he was going because he was learning on the job, and also that the film was nominated for Oscar for cinematography. I think and then. Yeah, I think it was. I think he worked. There was a head of cinematography or whatever on the on the film who was like acclaimed at the time. So obviously, I yeah, but that's on that. Yeah, which is utterly standard filmmaking. You of know, course, I, that's course. the case with any director. I think a director's main job really is to tie it tie it all together and draw out the performances from people. Of and uh, I think that's here. I mean, I'm I'm not going to criticize any sort of naivety on his part like I'm sure he was learning and he, he probably did make mistakes but at the end of the day I'm just judging the end product and I, I think it's uh, I, his directing is leagues better than 99% of directors in my opinion I think I think it's almost flawlessly constructed and of course it's a it's a team effort but I think that's the interesting thing about it kind of the magic of a uh, rookie somewhat maverick uh, director makes this thing that then other people sort of edit into something yeah. else uh, and I think that's part of its magic like it's it's almost accidentally brilliant yeah indeed and I think that's one of the things I love about it it's uh I may have said this when I spoke briefly about it before but it has a certain quality to it a certain magic that I I can't work out. I don't know why it works for me as well it does. I can take all those individual elements which I've discussed, cinematography, acting, story, characters, music, and I think it's all fantastic, which obviously helps, but something, there's just some magic to it, which the best films in my mind have where it just elevates it to that I don't, I don't know, think you extra have, special status. I don't think you haven't explain that like every every element of it is to a very high quality it's it's kind of building blocks um are excellent as well like it's a really good story with a good really good cast with a really good director 
I, I, it wasn't a criticism, incidentally, of Brando for saying that. <laughs> it sounds like no, no, no. I know from both time. Actually. I just just yeah. found that kind of interesting. That I think like no, for sure. The look, the behind the scenes stuff is very interesting, and you sort of mentioned it at the start. And I think it it also gains some additional levels. It's it's annoying because there's very little of Brando actually talking about the film. I think basically because it flopped, he kind of lost a lot of passion for for filmmaking in general. Yeah, I, uh, which is I also a great I can, shame. I can kind of totally see why it flopped as well because it was made at the same time as like you know the Magnificent Seven and like I think it was coming towards the end of that like golden era, I guess of of like westerns in cinema. And it's yeah, totally yeah. and it's totally different. So if you're a cinema goer, you know when the film comes out and you're expecting another Magnificent Seven, then it's not going to hit your um, expectations at all. So I can kind of see why it, why it flopped. It, it doesn't make it any worse of a film for it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's it, isn't it? Like Brando, the first time I watched it, I was like, this just feels different. And it's because of him and his acting and his character, like. The first half an hour, I just felt disconnected. I'd been watching a lot of sort of classic Westerns at the time. And you're very used to sort of the leading man being this, you know, stoic, like, I don't know. Sometimes a bit of a bastard. Figure. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, it, it almost it took me out of it. I was like, well, this does, does, just doesn't quite feel right. Like Brando being the kind of James Stewart or Randolph Scott or like John Wayne. You know, he just doesn't, he's not that. But the more the film goes on, the more he brings to it. And it's just something else entirely, which is probably, you know, uh, part of the magic or whatever. But yeah, sorry. I just wanted to mention I, the, the dad stuff. I watched a documentary on him recently and he's got, you know, major dad issues, basically. Um, I don't feel it's uh, an accident that this story appealed to him. I mean, his name, his name is literally Dad, but he is also the father figure, both yeah, yeah, both to Brad, uh, to Rio, like yeah. at the start of the film, like presumably his like early life, like a mentor sort of figure, and then and obviously, the, yeah, and obviously the father-in-law as well to his like love interest later on. So it's a yeah. bit on, it's a bit on the nose with the naming, but, <laughs> but it's not inaccurate. Yeah, I just think it gained something knowing that he was. Like you can tell, I I think you can tell how invested he is in it all. Like I think it's I a think true, that like, kind of passion project. Again, I think that adds to it. it. It feels like one of those films that the story of its creation is as interesting as its like final product, and I find that quite uh, interesting. I'm on the IMDb page at the moment, so I uh, don't forget character names. But the first trivia I can read because it's because uh, it's there and it says Marlon Brando insisted on getting drunk to film a scene in which he was supposed to be uh, acting drunk, but he got too drunk to act or direct, so he insisted on repeating the process the next day, and again got too drunk to <laughs> <laughs> to direct or act. Another one I called from that same list is according to Carl Malden during shooting Marlon Brando would have two steaks, potatoes, two apple pies a la mode and a quart of milk for dinner necessitating constant alterations to his costume. Yeah, I I did <laughs> I think I think um Scorsese might have mentioned that but actually it's super obvious like his hair looks completely different he puts on somewhere like you he just looks different at the end of the film than he does at the start like he's noticeably bigger. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, what did you two guys uh, make of the ending? Were you were you happy with it, or did you feel like you had hoped it would go in a kind of darker direction? I was I was happy enough with it. I think I think I kind of would have been satisfied either way. The journey was the enjoyable bit, I think, for me, like the performances and and the look of it. And as you say, the plot was really engaging and kind of getting his revenge. And the final shootout is cool. Like it's a cool shoot around the fountain. Um, my understanding is in in Brando's original, I think Louise is supposed to die. I think she gets killed by a kind of a stray bullet. I don't know, that would have felt sort of in keeping with the story. Like everybody's, not many people get a happy ending, even characters who like Chico, Chico Modesto. Um, yeah, he is, he's an absolute dude. And I think they earn their uh, fond farewell moment. And you're right, like I was sad when he gets his gets his number punched. Did you notice him crawling about when he I did. Oh, yeah. I didn't know whether that's either like just a filming thing where he couldn't stay still because he was clinging onto the side of a mountain and they decided to just go, <laughs> well, we're just going to leave that in. Or whether it was a really dark moment where he's clearly still alive and yeah, he just misses was, him and it was rides just simply on past. That. It's, I think it's just throwing out that he's, he's still there. And I, I kept on thinking, oh, it's going to come back. It's going to be great. It's going to save the day. No, he's just dead on the side of a cliff, like bled to death over several hours. Did you not see the uh, post credit scene where he's still wriggling about? <laughs> oh, yeah, to sell the sequel. <laughs> I found it, um, I, I always do, because I guess I don't watch enough films from this era, but because all the credits at the beginning, I find films from this era just stop really abruptly because there's, no, there's nothing at the end. It just sort of goes, and then they get away. Duh. <laughs> and then, then it just stops. Just going back to the ending... I did think yep. it was like relatively interesting because it crossed my mind as well. Like there's a few options there at the end. Yeah, I thought when when Dad gets shot and then um, you can see him on the floor dying but still alive, and he takes those like pot shots at Rio. I felt sure in that moment that he was going to hit Louisa and that it was going to be a super like tragic ending. I don't really mind. Like I think all possible endings. From that sort of scenario would have been would have been fine for me. Yeah, I kind agree. of agree with you. Well, like the journey is enough anyway. But I do think it's interesting that he went for the very classic Western like ending of literally kind of riding off into the sunset. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but not a very classic Western. I kind of yeah. feel that is more of the studio editorial choice than Brando's. I believe that is the case actually. But um, um, like I said, I just I, feel like Louisa dying felt in keeping with everything else. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with them having a relatively happy ending, I suppose. I mean, he literally carries her out of town, but it's still yeah. like tinged, though, isn't it? He's still leaving her and his unborn killed, baby, killed her stepfather. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah, leaving her in the town. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it, I think it works really well. I was that caught up in it anyway. Like it, it could have pretty much done it, anything, but it, I just think it's crescendos really really nicely and it just yeah it's the it's the perfect ending i don't think it's a film where there's too much to say other than other than praise it i think it's it's in my opinion it's just so well done it's just you know there's there's not much to pick apart and as you said andy i think it was you that you know ultimately it is quite a simple story it's just all the complications come with the with the character depth and little red herrings and 
all of that stuff. Everybody having their own little agendas. Mm. Um, well, I'll just part on this one little extra factoid from uh, from IMDb, which was five days into shooting, the film was two weeks behind schedule. <laughs> How does that make sense, even? That's the thing with things like like you were saying, Mark, about waiting for the perfect waves and that sort of thing. I think a lot of di- that's yeah. pretty pretty common. Like I think a lot of directors do that. You're looking for a certain look, so sometimes you're waiting for the elements. You try and plan it, don't you? So you know when the waves are happening. It'll be at eight o'clock in the morning, so you're there at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, exactly. May- maybe some of that. Um, yeah, it was part of Brando's learning process and slowed him down a little. Yeah. I'd have loved him to, uh, to to do more movies. I really would, because I think he's a genuinely talented director. But there is something nice about the fact that he's just sort of come in, done like a really great film, and then got out. The sadness is that, again, it sounds very much like it kind of almost destroyed his passion for, for film. Of Even course, yeah, yeah, totally it, agree. If I, it, yeah, it's it sounds like it was a very stressful process for him making it. It went way, yeah. way, way over budget and way longer than it was supposed to take. And then he argued over everything um, mm-hmm. for the for the final, you know, edit and things like that. So I I couldn't understand why he didn't want to do that again after the process, regardless of how good the film was when it was finished. Yeah. But I think you're right. Like I could imagine us talking about this as a debut film of somebody who's made a whole host of really good films. Like if this this is his first attempt at it, warts and all, then yeah, he could have done incredible things going forward. So yeah, shame. Are we ready for points? Yeah. Who wants to start us off? Well, I I think mine will be expected. It's It's a 10 out of 10 quite handily um second viewing i just it was a different experience because obviously i I knew what was going to happen but Mm -hmm. it it just i just yeah i i just have no faults for it i just i just think as i said right at the start really that this is what cinema is is to me that's that's what i want it's got the requisite emotional qualities that i want the requisite escapism all of that Fair. Um, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a strong nine out of ten. I think I've got. I think that could feasibly improve on a second watching, um, but I've, I think I've, it's fair to give it its honest appraisal on on just one watch. And um, I have some very minor minor issues with it, but I think it is a superbly made, acted film and has a really good core cast. Yeah, as you say, Mark, it ticks tons of those boxes of what a good piece of entertainment cinema should be. It's got depth as well as being like fun and occasionally funny, um, maybe not intentionally, but so yeah, not quite the full the full ten for me, but an, a, a very strong nine indeed. I'm unsure now. I'd, I'd written down to come in with an eight, and the more we talked about it, the more I'm tempted to give it a nine. Uh, just hearing you talk about it then, Mark, I agree with all of that apart from the like emotional core. No, that, not even that. I was emotionally invested in the... Just one particular emotional Yeah, part. I guess. The, yeah. I, I just wasn't as 
I was I think that's why I don't really mind what sort of happened at the end is I actually didn't care that strongly about what happened in the story between Rio and Louisa uh, but there's so many other elements of the film are so yeah I, 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 I think there's there's more than enough mo- emotion you take the yeah I know that that's bit it, out as well that's just the it. revenge story on its own is yeah sorry I taught myself up. I'll go with a nine it, it's yeah. it's such small things to be criticizing it for when when huge sways of it are unbelievably good. Good man, yeah. I kind of felt that the film was, I don't know, maybe Brando was way ahead of his time, but kind of like accidentally feminist in that the only Mm -hmm. two characters who ever speak sense are the wife and daughter. (laughs) who The only ones who are saying like, let's just drop this and be happy and (laughs) we can go and live our lives. And it's always the men just basically measuring dicks. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I say, maybe Brando is was hugely forward thinking in 1961, but I thought that was quite quite interesting aspect. I mean, I understand from Marlon Brando, from what I've heard about Marlon Brando, that he wasn't. But uh, <laughs> no, but, but uh, yeah, I never really thought about that. But yeah, you you bang on. Good, good stuff. Okay, so should we talk about your album pick, Marco? Uh, which is. Music from the Motion Picture, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, uh, released in 2008, and in particular, the Alexandra Desplat. Yeah, Desplat, Desplat. I don't, I've heard it called many things. I don't think he particularly cares. So, yeah. <laughs> what I think is referred to as disc one of, uh, <laughs> of the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an epic one. As you, you both know, I was toing and throwing a lot on choices this one I don't really know what what led me to this one in particular it was as simple as you know as I say not 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 having the the best of weeks or or what have you and I decided to just go out and walk and just put something on so for whatever reason I chose I chose this to to listen to at that point and it it sort of fed the mood at the time um in both positive and negative ways, but I don't know, because I was listening to it and I just thought it's something different, isn't it? You know, um, I think it actually has comparisons with some other stuff we have discussed, but ultimately it is still a, a genre, I guess, that we've not covered. I don't think it's a traditional film score particularly, but no, nonetheless, it is a film score. So I found this one quite difficult to sort of judge I think and Mm -hmm. I think that might be more because of my lack of affinity for classical music in a in a broader sense I guess that sort of orchestration is just less my jam so Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if I've got all of the vocabulary to, to to really assess this I enjoyed I enjoyed my time listening to it like coming back to it and listening to it was never a chore for me but equally I can't say that it's really stuck with me after the fact either no I, th- I think that's uh that's entirely fair yeah I sort of mostly agree with that it, it sounds like I might be more positive but I did think it was interesting that Mark when you shouted it out as a pick you said I think I know what you're going to score for this. Yes. I'm very interested to hear what you think me and Will are going to score 
when we you know afterwards when we've set our scores because honestly I, I genuinely don't usually I have a number in my head and I might go up up or down a point but <laughs> I'm, I've no idea I like those I've got loads of positives about it I, I think I used to listen to film music quite a bit and and don't really anymore I'll say up front sorry now because I guess it makes more sense to say it now before you I know Will's just done a brief summary but um I had you both pegged I think I had one of you pegged for a four and one of you pegged for a five or a six well I'll tell you I'll tell you now I'm pretty sure I'm going to come in higher than that okay well I'm pleasantly surprised I think sorry I, I, I know I don't mean to stop you in your tracks I know you go I think it's um, one of the reasons was it, it struck me and it was an unintentional thing, frankly, but it struck me there were some possible similarities to something like the uh, the Ichiko Aoba album in that I think it's very mood-based rather than, I guess, hook-based. You know, it's uh, it's kind of very delicate. You know, there's not like, there's very few moments of like breakout, really. There's a couple, there's a there's a few sections here and there where it unleashes a little bit. But in, in general, it's a, it's a very mild, relaxed experience. It's much more reserved and minimal than I was expecting it to be yeah. for, for, a, for a, a movie score. Um, I take your point being a bit like the Ichiko Ayaba. God, I, I just feel like I butcher people's names on podcasts consistently. Sorry, sorry, the rest of the world. Um, but I think for, for right or wrong, I was always aware that this has been written for a film. Like its, its primary purpose is not necessarily to be listened to standalone. The fact that it is enjoyable to do so, I think is a, a huge bonus and, and a plus point. But unlike the album... Um, it never left my mind that these are set to scenes. I think part of my problem is I've never seen Benjamin Button. Um, I know what it's about. You now I get the gist, but I've not seen it. I don't have any emotional tie to it as a film. And I do think that affected my listening experience. For what yeah. it's worth, I've never seen it either. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, Andy, I, I kind of cut you off before, so... No, I was just going to say I I saw it in the cinema, um, and I it, it has essentially left no impression on me. I was trying to remember it. I can remember the plot, um, and I don't think I hated it. But <laughs> I really like David Fincher as well, but it doesn't doesn't stage with me as one of David Fincher's uh, classics. I I just like so I get that comparison that you're making, Mark. Just going back for me. The thing that I criticised, Ichiko Ayab. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm saying it, but I don't know if it's right. <laughs> well, I couldn't remember what it was, so uh, it wasn't just a pronunciation issue. The criticism I had of that is that the melodies never stayed with me. Or yeah, um, I, I I would disagree that this isn't hooky. I guess because I think some of the little like very delicate, like piano themes and, and things like that are, are memorable. Like I, I recognize them when they came around again. I think there's variety on it as well. Like there's a lot of it is really sort of melancholic and 
mm-hmm. um, but there's there's little moments of I don't know like playfulness and for sure um I mean it's a film score isn't it so of course it's going to change throughout by what it's scored to but um but yeah, I, I just I, I did find it kind of memorable. I did I do think the melodies are really nicely written. Um, I think within a listen through, absolutely. Like I'd recognise the repeat themes and things. I just think when I stepped away from it, it it didn't. I'm not saying I'd be singing it on the way to work. But... <laughs> yeah, no, but I get I get your point. Well, I'll just I'll just sort of say a couple of things which I've been considering is because you you mentioned this as well Will just like you know it's it's difficult to sort of review and I think it is and it struck me when thinking about it um this is the case for most film composers uh but particularly uh Desplat he uh he does multiple films a year you know we're talking an hour and a half two hours of music him solely writing it for a full orchestra several times a year. Now, when you compare that to bands who three, four, five years to come up with a select group of songs, you know, it's somewhat embarrassing, frankly, like the riches that these composers like can bring. I'm not saying it's a 100% hit rate or anything. But it does also mean that I'm going to go a bit easier on them as a general experience. You also mentioned, of course, that it's written for the film, which is absolutely true. A lot of that score is going to be underscore. It's not designed to like, you know, it's not trying to be music to listen to in and of itself. It's serving a a different purpose. You know, I'm far more forgiving, I guess, of like, because I mentioned before, I think you can almost take it in swathes. Like you can just listen to a few tracks at a time I think like being being blunt, probably half the album I could lose quite easily. Not that it's bad. I just think it's, you know, it's 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 offering different versions of similar themes. There's three or four themes which are woven together really nicely. But you know, some of it is just incidental. It's just kind of very minor, doesn't really add much to it as just a standalone listening experience. But I can forgive that because of what it is, which I don't know whether that's fair or not, but you know, I, I'm judging it different to an album by a band because I think it is a different thing. Yeah, you I, have I'd to. not. You have yeah, to. like I, I, I don't think that's unfair at all. That's, that's right. the thing I'd say about the scoring. Like, how do you pick a score when? How do I compare it to how I would score? You know, Half Moon Run. Just, or, yeah, <laughs> any, it was, any it, band. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's just. It's so difficult to put a number on it because it's such a different thing. It's instinctual, isn't it? I think it's just, you know, what what did you get out of it? Was it broadly positive? You know? I think um, that's it. This is going to be a scale sort of enjoyment and appreciation as opposed to pure uh, analysis. Um, but to the point you made about it being a film score, if you had never even heard of Benjamin Button and you mm. just got a synopsis, it would be reasonable to not understand what that film was going to be. Like, it's a story of a man who ages backwards. He's born as an old man and dies as a baby. Yeah. That could just as equally be a horror or it could be a comedy. <laughs> yeah. And I think the score does a good job of, if you didn't know that, it tells you the mood of the film. Yeah, I think definitely. it does a good job of Definitely. That. So I think that's a success for it. I think as Agreed. well, like, 
picking up on what you were saying about the themes, it made me think about classic film scoring, I think. Like there are different themes used in different settings that I would presume mm-hmm. would relate to um, different different characters or... And and like you say, there's quite a few of those that are quite recognisable. And I think that that's one of the reasons as well that I'd say it's 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 memorable. I think all of those themes are quite strong. Like the actual melody writing is really really good. Yeah, memorable Sim- and interesting, and and can be used to kind of you know emote different different things depending on the kind of setting that the themes used in. Hundred percent. I think that they're very small and simple themes though and I guess that's what I was saying when it's not you know it's not John Williams here you know it's not like the Superman theme or anything like that there was like fiddling around on the keyboard the other day and just like playing a couple of them and they're like you know dead simple yeah like half of them are just you know little fifth leaps and it's really sophisticated as well I don't like calling this kind of thing classy I think it is but it's sort of it also still has emotions to it. And I think there's an interesting mix of emotions. I think it is broadly melancholic, someone said before, and then they're right. But you also said, yeah, that there's moments of levity and like almost humor at times and romance and all sorts. And it is interesting how he changes the themes uh, across the course of the record. Like towards the end, I think the... uh, one of the main themes, which is probably the simplest one, just the kind of the one with the little leaping piano notes, basically. Yeah. Um, he brings that back. I think it's, is it dying slowly or something? One of the final tracks, but he does it in a sort of minor key setting and changes all the backing chords. And you could almost lose the fact that it's exactly the same thematic basis because he's, mm. he's changed it so much. I think my ear isn't attuned well enough to always be conscious of those those things and I guess the average moviegoer won't be either you know they're there for effect um but I do think that the fact that I've not seen the film and don't have any particular tie to it as I said I think I think it has affected my listening and I experimented by uh also listening a bit to the Hollow Knight soundtrack which I think is fairly similar in a lot of ways and I would say that this is a higher production value um, I dare say Hollow Knight's not real instruments. Yeah, but it's not. my existing love for Hollow Knight made me enjoy that more, despite the fact that I think it is comparable, but probably not as as sophisticated. I think is the right word. Of course, yeah. No, like, I. I was just going to say, of course, it isn't. Like, of course, that has an impact. But I think, like, what you were saying about getting the kind of the core of what the film is that it is a kind of melancholic drama just from listening to the soundtrack kind of like obviously you're not going to have the same connection something that you love but um but i think that shows kind of the quality of the score and from what you were saying mark about the kind of that it doesn't have any big like sweeping um big john williams moments or whatever Mm-hmm. Again, like I think that is just entirely indicative of what the story is. Like, like I say, I don't. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't remember loving the film, but I think it is like it's this sort of extraordinary story, but in a mm-hmm. very underplayed, like melancholic way. 
I, I yes. don't remember the film being superb, but that's what it's trying to set up to be. Like, <laughs> you know, the the premise is big, but the actual story is just kind of basically a story about Benjamin Button and his wife and mm. the aging process. And you're right, it definitely sells that without having seen the film, like the vibes there. It's really funny. I was also thinking about this as well. Like, I like this music quite a lot. I do have criticisms, but I like it a lot. And uh, it's something that I've returned to over the years, and I think I'll continue to do so. I just really like this composer. But having listened to it, weirdly, as as I said, I've not seen the film, and I I really like the music. It's almost put me off watching the film. Like, I can see that the the, the like what the story it's portraying is is not one that I feel a particular want to watch. Like I I, I can gather by the tone that it will probably be a bit maybe tough going, uh, overly sentimental. I, I don't know. I, but yeah, I'm I'm fine with just having this thing as a standalone experience. I don't feel the need to to watch the movie. I think that's a plus point in its favour, and I think I got. I think I got a lot from it, like mood-wise. I say on a pure like enjoyment level, I don't. I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a thinking thinking man's or thinking woman's listening experience. I think there's there's a lot of space to it. And as I said, it's it's a weird thing to say, but like when I was walking around, I I found myself both listening to it and not listening to it. There's bits that that grab me and I, I really get into and it sort of changes my mood. And then there were other bits where it's more background and it it left room for me and my thoughts and it got me thinking of other things. I kind of yeah. like that. It, yeah, it, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think like, I listened to it about often. It was background music to me doing something, which is when I usually listen to music. But yeah, sometimes it grabbed me and sometimes it didn't. But that's not a criticism particularly of it because like you say, like it, it's very... It's very small in stature as a album, I guess. And so the only thing that really drew my ears were the were the the melodies and the and the real nice bits of orchestration occasionally. And when it didn't have that, it was just really nice background music. But it's not a particular criticism of it because it's made for a film and like, exactly yeah, that's the it's points where that is appropriate for the film. Yeah. So. yeah. Touching on that orchestration though point, I, I I completely agree. I think it's like beautifully orchestrated. There's there's like lovely colours and textures and stuff. And he he utilizes a lot of solo like cello and stuff, which anytime that comes in, it's it's super nice. I, I think those are the standout bits in the score. Yeah, and there's the um, you know, a very slight kind of ethnic feel in some of the instrumentation as well but used in a slightly different way um and when he combines all these things it it really really works really well it's very rare that he just unleashes like a full string section yeah my favorite bits are the the pretty bits i guess for want of a better word i kind of agree i i actually i really liked um it was nice to meet you uh, which is yeah, it's a beautiful ten. track yeah that, which i think is one of the most like sort of playful like bouncy bouncy strings in the background everything's really light and and 
yeah. know, playful. I can't find a better word than playful <laughs> with it. But I really like that track. I, I kind of agree with you, though. Like a lot of the others that stood out, like Meeting Daisy is really, really nice. It, it's it's usually the very delicate, pretty, like often piano melodies, but um, it does very, very little on orchestration. Yeah, I picked out a, a new life for that that has a, a nice kind of jaunty ending. That might be the um, one I was thinking of, actually, not meeting Daisy. Because I'm pretty sure quite... it took me a little while to grow into the album, actually, because the first couple of tracks are a bit... Um... Yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely a factor. I think the first three tracks are a bit kind of, yeah, it's okay. I think it really hit its stride, hits its stride in a, in a new life. Track four. I kind of want to listen that's... to it and work it out now. Yeah, I think that's the one that's got the little, little, um, it's almost like celebratory. I mean, I kind of wrote down Danny Elfman. It's not quite what I mean, but has that kind mm-hmm. of buoyancy to it that uh, some of his stuff has. It is track four. Agreed. He he dips into, uh, like the thing you mentioned, Andy, uh, the, the slightly more sprightly thing. I, I, I don't know when he first worked with Wes Anderson, but you can hear glimmers of that here and there he's he's got mad versatility this guy to be honest he's done a little bit of everything but yeah i i feel this this one is kind of inherently display it's just understated and subtle but really nice and yeah it wasn't somebody i was even aware of which i think is just showing a complete lack of film music current knowledge but I, I i had a little read up on his on what he's done previously mm-hmm. and yeah it's just a, it's an outstanding <laughs> list it is yeah it's he's he's one of my favorites but i think i'll be going to check that out um i think i've got enough from this to warrant further listening i think and... it's made me want to listen to film music again a little more I think that's a good point and i'm yeah. not saying it'll it'll suddenly jump up super high on my my list i'm not going to suddenly listen to exclusively film music i feel like i've uh, not listened to any for a few years reignited a little something i think i'd agree with that um even if this wasn't you know 100 successful i think it has sparked a certain inspiration i'm as i say very pleasantly surprised because i i feel this is one of his less kind of in your face like efforts really I think it almost borders on so light that it floats away in the breeze at times. So I'm I'm yeah. glad that you picked up on the on the little things and 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 enjoyed them. Um, oh, the final thing I'll say is sorry, just a couple of other tracks that I really liked. I think um, sunrise at Pon Lake or something. Yeah, Lake Pon Ponchate train. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I think word. that's that's super nice. Um, I think the final couple of tracks are really nice at sort of bringing it all together, almost like a medley kind of thing. And um, track five as well, loving more Moscow. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this all off the top of my head, so I don't yeah. know. Loving Murmansk. There you go. That was close. Um, I think that's also super nice and has that kind of ethnic instrumentation as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I quite liked Submarine Attack because that was quite moody. Um, when I was listening through, though, it always really snapped me out when 
Uh, he just starts saying, my name's Benjamin Button and I was born in unusual <laughs> times. <laughs> I was like, all right, restart the album. I do think what you said about it being a kind of mood thing, to an extent as well, you can say this about any album that we've reviewed or film that we've reviewed, that your mood obviously <laughs> impacts it. It's like, absolutely. if it gets to the night before and I need to watch something and it's a comedy then you're watching a comedy, aren't you? Even if that's completely what you're not in the mood for. So yeah, yeah. it definitely helps this week. They're actually a little melancholic. Soundscapey kind of. Yeah, sort of, let's say, small no, stature. Film score was, um, I was, I was very much in the mood to listen to something like that. And, and yeah, maybe if we'd reviewed it on a different different week, maybe it wouldn't have uh, landed quite as quite as well. It was an interesting choice, though. I think it was it was genuinely something quite different. For sure. Should we uh, score it up? Yeah, let's do it. I think I've decided. Okay, then you go first. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give it a seven. I, I don't really know why. Because <laughs> I'm not, like I say, like I, I sort of, has. it's definitely worked for me. And it has reignited a little bit of interest in listening to more film music. You're right, Mark. There were plenty of bits of it that passed me by. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also right about why you should be a little bit more softer on that for it. The fact is, I probably won't go back and listen to it much again. But I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. It's not what it's designed to be. Um, but the, yeah, there's, no. there's loads of super enjoyable bits about it. So yeah, I've landed on seven for, I don't know, no reason. No, that sounds like reasonable reasons to me. <laughs> okay, shall I go, Will? I'm yeah, still... go for it, buddy. I'm still on back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I will score it with the caveat that it, the way I tend to listen to film music albums is I find tracks that I like and sort of listen to them and don't always listen to the full thing. It's like, it's another, it's, it's like so much of a 7.5 for me, it's untrue. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the eight, um, possibly against my better judgment. I mean, it could easily be a seven, but I, I just think he's, he's a really good composer. I can't criticize the writing of the music because I think he's, well, borderline genius as in general and just his use of harmony and texture and everything is is really really nice and i think in a world of like kind of booming hans zimmer wannabes super nice to have someone who's just like doing classy european old school like film scoring agreed yeah, absolutely agreed. I'm glad that you pushed the A as well, particularly with your own reasoning of, of why you should mm. be a little more generous with this sort of thing, which I think makes complete sense. I'm still basing it on the listening experience, though. I'm not kind of giving it bonus course, marks or anything. Yeah, I get that. But I think if you're between them, then on your own reasoning... Yeah, that, that should, swings it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fair, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I'm still really unsure about this, and I feel a bit weird about this score. I'm going to give it a six. And I think it's as much 
my own lack of understanding or appreciation for kind of that type of music that I don't I don't think I noticed as many of the things as you've pointed out and the fact that you've pointed them out makes me want to go back and listen again to find those some of those kind of elements but I appreciated it more than I enjoyed it I think mm-hmm. um it's I mean you know, like I say it is definitely in the top five like it is it is in the good swing of things I think it's the right spread frankly so yeah I'm gonna stick like, to I, the guns I don't think six is unfair whatsoever no I do think there's a because I as I say I didn't expect like I review to sort of get anything out of it really so I'm, I'm glad you did but I think it's a positive thing in terms of you you may well like some other of his stuff that's it there's enough there for me to be interested and I think Andy nailed it really has inspired a wider desire to kind of listen to more film music awesome I'm sure I'll do another film score pick at some stage down the line Shall look forward to it no, I'm glad, I'm glad that you... I like your picks this week, Mark. You've been, uh, been good. Um, right, okay. So should we get on then to your top five list, buddy? Which uh, was, if I remember rightly, top five comfort viewing slash listening. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly good. right. Good, because mine does have a combination. <laughs> so hopefully I hadn't yeah. just done it wrong. Does anybody um, feel the desire to go first? I don't care. Why don't you go, Will? I feel okay. like you rarely start. I think that's fair. We don't have... I, I, I'm predicting we're not going to have too many crossovers. I don't think um, we'll have any. Oh, can I make an early prediction? Sure. I'll leave it until it gets to it, but I reckon I can name your number one, Will. My number one? Yeah. I'll shout out before it gets there. Interesting. I'm Okay, I'm going to double predict. I'm going to predict what I think you're going to predict. <laughs> <laughs> later on and you're going to say it at number two (laughs) (laughs) my number five um, is an album Um, it's an album that I find endlessly re-listenable with a great variety of songs and it could have been actually a number of albums by this particular act but I've picked None Such by XTC in my number five slot I don't think None Such is necessarily regarded as one of their best albums, but I like a lot of those tracks a a very great deal. Um, I think it's a really cool album. and It kind of reminds me of a time when we were living in uh, Fallowfield. And I mean, to say it's a comfort album, that time wasn't all good. We were poor as as anything, but uh, we also had some good times. And uh, yeah. It's, a, it's an album that always brings me some comfort. Yeah, it's a good choice, absolutely. It's it's one where it's slightly more on the poppy end of things for them, which is no bad thing. Mm, I'd agree. Make, makes it an, yeah, undemanding listen. And yeah, it's, it's just fun, isn't it? It's just... It is a fun album. It's got some kind of quirky tracks on there with some funny mm. lyrics. And yeah, I think that's a good point, though. It's, it's undemanding. Like it's a real mm. easy listen for them. Yeah. That's on, my number five. Uh, my number five is pretty pretty similar in theme, I guess. Um, I don't actually list an album. Um, it's Bare Naked Ladies. 
I guess Stunt or Gordon would be my my album choice. Um, but the things that you said are, are pretty much the same. Um, I like that. I, li- I like music that has a little bit of, I don't know, doesn't take itself too seriously, I guess. Yeah. Like, there's there's little moments of humour and they're just throwaway stupid things, but I like them. Um, I think musically, Bare Naked Ladies are slightly better than they're given credit for. A lot of it is pretty bait pop, but um, the bass lines are always good. It's got those like real stacked harmonies that I'm just an absolute sucker for. And yeah. yeah, unchallenging is right as well. Like they're they're it's they're very easy listenable songs. And I think yeah, those two albums in particular. Are, 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 my slight leaning would be Gordon, if you care. I think my slight leaning would be Stunt actually, but sure. Um, yeah, I really like both, and I can listen to them at almost any point. And I, I don't know, I don't do a huge amount of comfort listening, but I guess actually, like. Um, they are albums that I, if I'm in a mood, they would instantly cheer me up a bit. Not all of my picks are really like that, but it's that sense of kind of evergreen music where you can put it on at almost any time in your life throughout a very extended period of your life and it never really fades, or at least it changes, but in a good way. Yeah. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. Yeah, I need to listen to them, actually. I, I've, I'm obviously aware of a couple of their famous tracks. I've never really listened to much, which is a shame, because I think I would like them. Right, I've gone for the bullshit list, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, there's nothing specific. I'm going very vague with it. But uh, number five is uh, Westerns. Okay, as a whole genre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because I, I don't know, I just found it when I, I mentioned before, I was watching a few a few months back and I still put the occasional one on. And I just find them really kind of warm and inviting and just, I like the escapism they offer just on a base level. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an older, simpler time. Everyone rides on the horseback and there's always hills and mountains in the background. And I think Frontier America is, yeah, it's, it can be pretty fa- fascinating. Yeah, it's it's got like this inherent romanticism to it that I really like. And uh, yeah, when you've just had a shit day, it's just like, yeah, nice little, nice little Western to, uh, to get lost in. <laughs> Wind it's, down. It's yeah. hard to make a, make a Western that doesn't look great as well. It, it really is. Just, yeah. the, <laughs> Absolutely. Just, the, just the setting is enough. Like, how do you, how do you shoot that, that badly? That it doesn't look <laughs> nice. Yeah. Is it a specific leaning towards that kind of classic era or is it all or is it yeah, kind of spaghetti? I, is there a I should have said really, shouldn't I? Yeah. I would say yeah, classic Hollywood westerns specifically because you okay. know I, I don't know whether you'd call no country for old men a western but no. like I'm not I'm Southern not Gothic. relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Southern Gothic, yeah. I'm not looking to wind down to something like that. All right, for my number 4 I'm going from Mark's vagary to incredibly specific. And um, I'm not expecting either of you to agree with this. It's not, I guess, what you'd maybe expect as a choice. Um, My choice is Slipknot, Volume 3, The Subliminal Verses. And for the specific reason is that not too long ago, I was going through a pretty shitty time. And 
this album kind of reflected how I felt. I was really kind of angry and, uh, and it genuinely had like, I had a, an emotional connection with it because it was matching where I was. And I think it's not that misery loves company, but I think sometimes if you're feeling in a real bad place, knowing that even if it's just the impression that there are others like with you, it's, it's comforting. And uh, I took that meaning from this particular one is it a comforting album? Particular time and place. It was just what I needed. Very relatable. Very relatable comments. Uh, maybe not necessarily the album pick, but uh, but yeah, totally. Get That's where you're fair. From different strokes and folks and all that, but uh, yeah, just at that particular point in my life, it it hit a nail that needed hitting. See, so yeah, I go, I go straight for like Sustin Stevens or you know. Something real miserable, if I can uh, yeah. find it. <laughs> I, I used to wallow in that as well, like just wallow in misery anytime I was down. I, I don't can't do that anymore. I'm too emotional these days. I love that. I love a bit of wallowing. It's my fave. I think just core frustration and rage are my... <laughs> <laughs> They're my trigger points. Yeah, not a rager. Anyway, that's my number four. Good pick. Good pick. Um, I've thought outside the box as well here, but very, very differently. I won't talk about it for too long because nobody else will possibly give a shit. But uh, number four, I've gone with Test Match Special. Uh, <laughs> That'd excellent. be nice. Excellent. Um, it makes me a bit sad that I don't know anyone who gives a shit about cricket because I'd like to talk about cricket with people. Um, this is very much a like growing up pick of test match special being on in the background it made me a bit sad when i thought about it that i don't listen to it anymore because i have sky so if i follow the cricket i put it on tv in the background instead of listening to the radio but i think there is something really quintessentially english about it um like they i think they take their job seriously in terms of analysis of the cricket but that is only 50% of the job and the other 50% is them just getting ridiculously distracted about a cake that somebody sent in to them. Um, I really like it when there's just moments of like just fits of giggles about something when somebody makes a, you know, bit of gentle innuendo or. It's um, part of the magic, isn't it? It's the characters that make it. And if, if you just wanted facts, you could read text. But it's just it's rolling characters as well. Like they, there's some people have been on there for years, but there's all the time players retire and they start turning up on TMS as a like the pundit, I guess, equivalent. Um, and yeah, everybody brings a little bit of magic. I just find it incredibly heartwarming. It's just, it's just, yeah. Even if I didn't care about the care about the game, I could just listen to them chat absolute nonsense there's some absolute like classic moments as well where like you know the batsman's holding the bowler's willy that's that's funny that's funny stuff (laughs) that's always gonna be funny uh it um that's a really great choice i it i listen to quite a lot of different podcasts and i I didn't really think in that area so um spoiler alert none of them in my list no, it's how I got to it is I thought, is there any podcasts I put in? But then I started listening to podcasts really the last few years. I've been mm-hmm. in and out before, but it's, it's only recently I started listening religiously. So they're all too Test new. match has always been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a, that's a great pick. <laughs> it is a great pick. You see, I, I now feel like I've, I've massively cheated again uh, because I am just going out. Well, I'm crossing it over as well. I'm just going outright podcast slash YouTube for number four. Now, specifically, I, I won't. I won't even bother to mention any specific podcasts or YouTube stuff. I mean, most of the time at the moment, it's super sad. I'll more than happily just put on a YouTube video of someone going through their Blu-ray collection. <laughs> I won't. I, I won't mean... watch it. It would just be there, like. And what it is, I, I guess, the inherent appeal to me is there's something just somewhat reassuring and comforting about the human voice yeah um, yeah yeah absolutely like, get that which is which is basically what the number four is it's just like yeah i don't know it's uh i, I do it a lot um you know it's just easy and sometimes yeah just sit down lay on a bed whatever and just listen to people talking to you i, yeah, I feel I, kind of uncomfortable in complete silence i, I get that I do mm. it almost every morning. I think I wake up because yeah. I ne- I almost never sleep through to my alarm, so I have a bit of time to kill. And I just put on a. This morning I listened to a video of somebody talking about why the um, tritone chord, why it was a myth that it was like banned in the <laughs> medieval. El Diablo's chord. Yeah, twenty minute video, and it was got... in the background whilst I was getting ready for for work. I, I Lovely wanna, stuff. Very I watch that. So, no, I don't think that's a cop-out choice, Mark. I think that is very well-reasoned and absolutely yeah. fair. Nice. So you're number three, Andy? No, it's my number three. I, <laughs> I did. Okay, so my number three um, is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which I think represents probably my favourite of the sort of anime series. Um, it was one of the first ones I watched. We have watched different ones, you and I, Andy. Um, and this is the the Brotherhood version, the second version that was produced. We have. I, I have watched a bit of Brotherhood, um, but I never really got to the point where they... It's, it's about 15 episodes. So it's, quite yeah. a, it's quite a lot before it, before it diverges. I think Brotherhood's be- the better of the two. Um, but they've got really like, great characters in them. And the story is full of twists and turns, and it's a kind of full-on fantasy adventure. Um, but I found that it is one of those I can just dip back into. I know the story well enough that I can just hit individual episodes kind of at random and enjoy the ride every time. So it represents my anime corner. Cool. I was just saying, I really like the world that they build, this sort of proto-European pseudo-scientific magic that has all of these like very specific rules about how it functions. Um, yeah, I think it's very cool. But that's it. That's my number three. Uh, number three. I'm going to go with Bridge Over Troubled Water. I really... I. I listened to this album probably a month ago, and it's the first time I've listened to it for ages. Um, and I think I'd really softened on it as an album. Like, it wasn't my favourite Simon and Garfunkel. I prefer Paul Simon on his own to Simon and Garfunkel. 
Um, and yeah, I listened to it and just did a complete like 360 on it. The reason that it's in my list anyway is that like growing up, my dad was really into like listening to jazz and classical music. And like my mum died when I was fairly young. But I remember listening to a handful of albums that were clearly like her influence that I listened um, listened to a lot on like every car journey. Um, bit of Beatles. Um, Simon Garfunkel, like that, that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I guess it's just, it was just one of the first albums that I actually like knew inside out and loved. And yeah, to listen to it again and sort of realize that that had kind of come back for me. Like mm. the song Bridge Over Troubled Water, I just, it's just overplayed for me. I'd, I'd completely lost interest in it and I forgot. I mean, it's on the album twice. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, I forgot what a, like belting song that is, but the the whole album and like it just it changes in tone throughout it so much. Like I, I there's so much of it. I love Baby Driver. Like what a song that is, and then you've got like the ballads, like song song for the asking, the only living boy in New York. Um, yeah, my love for that album. I oh, keep the customers satisfied. Like the the bouncy <laughs> tracks are so good as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've just so I've I've got a real nostalgic love for it, but I, I think that's a big that's, part of the comfort. Yeah, but I guess that's just come back recently for me. I sort of had forgotten about it, and cool. that, that's why it made the list. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, genuinely yeah, slightly touching. <laughs> uh, Only slightly because we're men. It's <laughs> <laughs> good job I didn't bounce it for Brooklyn Nine Nine then. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel my my number three is, is weak in comparison, uh, but it's um, the 60s Avengers uh, TV show starring Patrick McNee and particularly the Diana Rigg run. Um, but I just got into a habit for the for several months, really, we just put on, a, I mean, revelatory experience of having a, a TV in your bedroom, I have to say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we would just start watching an episode like in bed before going to sleep every night. And it's just such a fun, entertaining show. I just love the, uh, the aesthetic of it. Like it's just sixties are cool, aren't they? At times. <laughs> Again, I think it probably falls into that kind of unchallenging, but just really like fun. Yeah. Easy to Absolutely. get. Absolutely. It's I'm a sucker for that, like, you know, stiff upper lip, like British thing, I guess. And uh yeah, John Steed's the man. It's just a old school gentleman. It's got a lot of the kind of Bond style spycraft in it. Uh, yeah. about charm and gadgetry and yeah. Yeah, it's a cool choice. Yeah, agreed. My number two, I guess, also kind of fits into that evergreen category, um, but it's a film and it is Hot Fuzz. Um, probably the film that I've seen the most in my life. Um, and not all the way through because it's one of those films that when it's on telly 
and you flick in between adverts and you land on it and you think, oh, I'll watch this for five minutes. And an hour later, the credits roll. <laughs> you know, I've watched it yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And it's always the case. Every time I see it, there's an argument for Shaun of the Dead as well, but I think Hot Fuzz peaks for me as, as the best of the trilogy. And wherever it is from whatever whatever point in the film, I can just pick it up and, and enjoy it because it's full of superb jokes. It's really quotable. It's one of my faves. agree with yeah. all of that. I must have watched it on TV from halfway through. A dozen times, thousand times, yeah. yeah it, it's an absolute classic, and I I think it is the best of the trilogy as well. Also agree with that, yeah. Good pick. Uh, thank you, Andy. Your number two, Chieftain. Um, I've got a bit vague on this, to be honest. Um, I think I wrote these down because I was going to pick one of the films out, and now I don't really know what to pick. The, there's a handful of films that I've watched. A thousand times. They're all incredibly easy watching, and I just find them like absolutely full of charm. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned all of them on the podcast before. Um, so I wrote down Gross Point Blank, High Fidelity, Princess Bride. I, I honestly must have seen all of them. <laughs> a, a dozen I can times. throw a few and, them in my list as well. <laughs> and I've also seen all of them within the last year. <laughs> and I'll continue to watch them all the time. John Cusack is a bit of a theme that runs through that. But not in the <laughs> Princess Bride, unfortunately, because that would have been great. That would have been good. Um, but in terms of like comfort watching, there's nothing, nothing better. They are the perfect Sunday afternoon film. There is no challenge in any of them as a film, but they have, um, yeah, they're just just full of heart and. Um, yeah, that's it really. I just I, I have a I watch them with a little little love in my heart. Got that good. Great, good choices. Not, well, <laughs> well, not, well, they are ten out of ten films for me, but it's not based on quality. It's just based on love. No, I, I think I think all of those are pretty much great fucking films. Right, th- th- this one is. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, this one is slightly embarrassing if I'm if I'm being honest, but. Um, you know, you, you have to be honest with these things, don't you? If nothing else. Of course. So, this is the time to be honest, man. We expect man. nothing less. Um, number two for me is uh, Top Gear slash the Grand Tour to a lesser extent. We're talking um, modern era, not not Tiff Nadell. Yeah, we're, well, we're talking... <laughs> top Gear. We're talking Clarkson, May, Hammond era. Uh, basically those three. Now, I, I know there's a load of critics of those people, particularly Clarkson, all of which is probably fair. Doesn't bother me. I just, I find them uh, eminently watchable. And the, the point of this is just something where if stuff's just shit and you just want to just sit down and kind of in, enjoy yourself, take your mind off things, I, I think they kind of nail it. There's... You know, it's, it's the it's the it's the connection between the three. I I totally agree with that. But yeah, I totally yeah. I totally agree. I sort of dislike all of them, kind of. But there's a real magic to it that's just that just means I will continue to watch it. I don't even like yeah. cars. It's not really a show about cars. No, it's not. In fact, I sometimes watch if I'm watching it on 
well, obviously I watch on catch up, but I if they're just reviewing a car, I just skip through that bit because who cares? Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the specials in particular yeah. uh, that I enjoy. But yeah, I have even gone back to them at times if if it's just I can't really find something to watch. I'm in a bad mood or whatever. I'll just be like, oh, you know, see it on iPlayers like the Mozambique special or whatever. And I'll just be like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. I'll just watch that again. I've also seen like, that one more than once. Good choice, though. I think it's a. Uh, you've yeah, certainly know. justified it. I absolutely get why it's an embarrassing choice because I am also embarrassed that I, uh, I like <laughs> that I watched them. But you know, yeah, got some magic <laughs> about is. it. It it is what it is, isn't it? Exactly. Well, um, I'm quite tempted to uh, move my number one, um, mainly because Andy quite flippantly said it. <laughs> uh, Said the said it as in said it or yeah you've already you've already said it once Princess Bride it wasn't Princess Bride no but just, what was I, your what was your prediction for my number one I just, you haven't yeah. said it as part of your list but you have said it offhand no I, I well in that case I'm wrong because I was going to go uh, my cousin Vinny yeah you see that's the one that's battling it out. I think I'm going to stick with my guns because this is how I put my list together. The reason I haven't picked my cousin Vinny, which you're absolutely right, is one of my favourite of all things, is that I'm, I think I might eventually pick it in a different list one day. <laughs> and I want to save it up. Um, so what I've picked my number one slot is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. My dip back into TV show that, again, much like... Um, hot fuzz where you can pick it up from anywhere i can do that with an individual episode with a whole series i can do- just watch all the doug judy episodes uh i can watch them in any way and i find them infinitely entertaining i'm really looking forward to the final season i like that these shows are a bit like parks and rec they go on for a while but they don't seem to ultimately overstay their welcome i hope they nail the landing um but i think this is a show that i will always go back to a lot and that's why it's my number one. Yeah, I sort of regret not putting in similar shows. I, I totally agree. That it, it's it's one of a handful of go to ones. I've been watching Final Space again. That's that's like jumped into the list as well. I rewatched it last year in lockdown. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> You're going for a third. Started watching it again, but yeah, Brooklyn's in there. Parts and Rex in there. Like they're just yeah, what you said. Like I could just. I just pick an episode at random. Mm-hmm. Always, always sunny as well. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Where, it doesn't matter at all where it is. I'll just doesn't matter whether I watch a full episode or six of it. Something, something freeing about the characters not having a huge amount of development. It's like you don't really know what's have to come before. Uh, I think it's your number one, Chief Down. I've gone for another, another touching one. It's number one. I've gone uh, where Eagles Dare. I don't think my dad ever told me that it was his favourite film, but I've probably seen it 15 times. I'd say maybe 13 of them with my dad. Um, I, I could have gone more general as well because there's loads of those old war films that I think are great. But um, it, yeah, it, I don't know. It's a great film. Yeah, that one's especially great for a war film. Yeah, superb. Um, and... Like, I think the plot is generally, uh, genuinely superb as well in it, but it doesn't matter to me in the slightest. I know where the story's going. Uh, just the whole adventure is is 
great. And um, yeah, I don't know. I have a little emotional attachment to it because it was yeah, the film that I I just will always associate watching with watching it with my dad. It's a fantastic pick. Uh, I share your love for it completely. Fantastic yeah, reasoning, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it would probably be in my top ten of all time as well. Definitely close. Um, it could. It, I mean, I could easily have it as number one. I'm the same as you. I don't know how many times I've watched it, but it's it's a lot. Um, and a lot would have been like with my brother growing up and that kind of thing. But yeah, I'd, I'm just going to quickly say I don't have a specific number one because I, I think it's I'm, I'm going for sort of Andy's trick at, that he did before. It would just be a spread. It's basically any number of childhood films, really. I know it's a complete cop out, but, you know, give us a little list. You know, this this all incredibly obvious ones like Back to the Future, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The Last Crusade, specifically. Um, certain Bond films like Doctor No or whatever, uh, Never Ending Story, um, Where Eagles There could easily be in that list. It's just yeah, a lot of ticks for me there. Childhood favourites, I suppose, is the cop out way of explaining they're, it they're, they're literally all ticks for me you've not listened yeah. to that film there they're all films that i've seen multiple times i think yeah all of them <laughs> and will continue to watch yeah cool i enjoyed cool. that that was some uh some good stuff awesome good listing uh, next week are andy's choices so andy tell us what film album and top five list you're picking uh, yeah, so for film, we're going to go with The Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the album, I'm going to go with Image and Heat, I Megaphone, the first okay. album. First one, yeah. Uh, the list is going to take a bit of explaining because I've got a bit outside the box here. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going top five. Let's just call it top five, the band. Um, I want you to build a band. <laughs> Um, so I'm looking at lead singer, guitarist, bassist, drummer, and wildcard wildcard wild pick. Okay, I think you should have to make it into a band. So I want you to pick a kind of at least a loose genre. Like you can't just be picking a funk drummer and an acoustic. Something that works together. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to pick your best. You you don't have to pick your best in each, um, like your favourite ever singer. I want you to form them as a band. That's quite good, like a fantasy band. Yeah, that's awesome. I I love this already. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun. Okay, I'm into it. Good, great choices. Well, that's all from us at Screen and Needle. I hope you join us next week where we'll talk about another film, another album, and another top five list. Bye-bye.